What is up, my friend? Welcome to episode 130 of the Anthogenomics Podcast. Today, I'm bringing on a guest who's a world-renowned marketing and sales strategist to help you uncover and potentially solve the biggest bottleneck in your business. He's advised some of the biggest names in the market and sales industries, people like Jay Abraham, uh, Chet Holmes, Dan Kennedy, Perry Marshall, just to name a few people. So if you want some insights into scaling your business, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Anthony John Amix Podcast, the one and only podcast designed to help you become unstoppable in life and business. My name is Anthony John Amix. My friends call me AJ, and my goal with this podcast is to help you remember who you truly are so you can maintain your center in the chaos, embody your potential, and unlock freedom in your life and business. That being said, let's get into today's show. All right, welcome back. Now, before I bring you uh, today's guest, I'll tell you a little bit about him in a little bit. But first, if you're tired of feeling like your bank account, your business and life haven't like caught up with your desires yet, and you're ready to start seeing those $15,000 days and the confidence and certainty in knowing your business is thriving with you or without you, and the knowing that you finally created your freedom as an online entrepreneur, then I want to invite you to join my community called Embody Potential. It's all about destroying blocks, becoming unstoppable and scaling your business and you can join for free by going to ajamix.com slash community. The thing is, like most business and personal development world, like keeps entrepreneurs, it seems like on this hamster wheel of like burning out and stalling out and struggling with imposter syndrome. And I've kind of been deep in the online business and personal transformation world for man, about a decade now. And after supporting hundreds of entrepreneurs and expanding their lives and the businesses, I found that there are some specific timeless principles and scientific truths and spiritual experiences that will really skyrocket your life in every single area. And most business mentorships, they don't really unlock their personal transformation required to scale quickly. And the most personal transformation stuff just really isn't built for like busy uh, business owners. So I've teamed up with my good friend, incredible coach, Jonathan Heston, to give you our raw perspective about what it takes to build a life that serves you financially and internally, a perspective that's been invaluable for us and our clients and has unlocked incredible results like 300% growth, uh, 30K to 375K months and more. And in this group, you can expect a couple of things, uh, actually four things. Number one, value-driven interviews and conversations. Number two, collaborative Q&As. Number three, exclusive trainings. And number four, content that makes you money and up-levels your being. So if you want to join the group for free and get access to those things, simply go to ajamix.com slash community, click the little join button, and we'll see you uh, on the inside. So Let's change gears. Let me tell you about today's guest. His name is Josh Long. He's worked directly with the who's who of the marketing and sales world. And as you can imagine, it's really accelerated his career. It has shown him like, like the brilliant strategy is pretty much worthless without brilliant implementation. And over the past decade, he's discovered that the most reliable source of massive profit growth in any business is to find and fix the bottlenecks. So I wanted to bring him onto the show uh, to talk to you about this. So with that being said, let's bring Josh onto the show. Josh, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Dude, I saw on Facebook, you post a question. Uh, this, we'll just start out political. Fuck it. We'll just start out political. <laughs> and you post a question, which was like, um, is modern civilization, like within the past 150 years, A, a sequence of unfortunate events, like, you know, Cold Wars and a whole bunch of stuff, Corona, whatever. We could we could talk about that today. Uh, be a sequence of engineered disasters to keep humanity from evolving to its highest potential or something entirely else. Where do you land on that one? I'm, I know where I land and I'm happy to share. I'm just curious where you land. Yeah, I think this last year just pushed me over the edge. And I think that 
there are, I think, Ch- forgive me, I don't remember his last name, Chamath, um, yeah. the guy, the ex-Facebook guy, the venture capitalist, his post the other day, he said, there's 150 people, 150 guys running the world and um, they don't have any good intentions for us. And I, I feel like last year, 2020, just kind of finally ripped the Band-Aid off for me. Year of clarity, brother. Year I, of clarity. It was. I always felt like, you know, bureaucracy's just a sloth and it's messy and the good intentions just get trickled down to bad downstream effects and all that stuff. But like there were so many holes in all of 2020 that it just from the riots um, where people could be out without masks and that was okay. But if small business owners pushed back and I deal, you and I both deal with small business owners and totally. they, they were just getting fucked at every turn. And I, I just was like, Oh, they really, really don't care about small business owners. They don't care about our health because if they cared about our health, they'd be talking about vitamin D sunlight, zinc, vitamin C. I mean, even Google, like YouTube CEO came out and said last summer that they were going to take down videos that went against the world health organization, like saying that taking vitamin C would help you against coronavirus or COVID-19. And I'm just like, man, I I don't care if you're a granola head or not, or if you just believe everything that big pharma puts out, but there was nothing that, that matched up to them giving a shit about us. And so for me, it was like, then I went, started going down rabbit holes and, and like one the other day, um, there's this really brilliant gal, Catherine Austin Fitz. She was the secretary of HUD housing and urban development for George Bush seniors administration in the uh, late eighties, early nineties. And she's now an investment banker and an economist and brilliant gal. And I won't go into every <laughs> connected dot that she reveals, but she started talking about the need for wars to prop up currency and to maintain currency status, world reserve currency status for us. And then I thought, you know what, all that stuff I studied around the Federal Reserve in grad school and the creature from Jekyll Island and how the money trusts of the four wealthiest families in the world were, were financing the US in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And they created the money trust to control the civilization. And in 1912, they got a senator or congressman or somebody to proposed the Federal Reserve. And they went to this island off the coast of Atlanta. And there's a building there that says this is where the Federal Reserve was brainstormed. And the book's called The Creature from Jekyll Island. And so that gets passed and they create the Federal Reserve, those four families. And and I didn't, I never connected until recently. That was 1913. Well, guess when World War I started? 1914. And it's like, how many times are we going to say, oh, that's just a coincidence. Oh, that's just a coincidence. So to me, yeah, I'd say I'm firmly in in point B that, and we look at things like how much we're over-medicated as a society, how many people are on mind-altering drugs, and how many kids are deemed as having ADHD or ADD and have to be medicated to get through the day. And I think like the age of innovation and brilliance, like the Beethovens and the Mozarts and the Michelangelos and even the Nikola Teslas, and I think we're going to have a hard time having people like that rise to the top because that genius is just being medicated out. Dude, Um, it is. And that's why for me, I land in like a B like it's both mm -hmm. is where I land. Sure. Because I feel like when it's both, that's where we get to come back home to have agency to figure out what it is that we want to create and how do we want to create it and just give ourselves permission to do that dance. 
um, right. And, and yeah. And to realize that the more we push back on whatever narrative or whatever construct, um, the more freedom we get. And I mean, I, I'm a contrarian, so my life has always been alternate of the, of the majority opposite of the majority. And when I came across Mark Twain's quote that says, when you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's a good time to pause and reflect. Yeah. It's like, Oh, finally, somebody gets me. I, 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 I get that guy. That guy gets me. So I was like, okay, this, this is not so unusual. Um, the way that I approach life. So yeah, I think that's the biggest part. And when I say like keeping humanity down from its highest and best from evolving to its highest and best. I mean, I think, I think we're all pretty fantastic creatures and have so much potential and so much endless ability that just gets hammered and crushed out of us by the school system gets um, pressed down by childhood abuses or traumas um, and stuff that we grow through and heal through as adults. It's almost like our existence of friend of mine. He's, he said it cynically that, our existence on earth is just to survive childhood and try to heal in adulthood. Um, and that's a, a very cynical that. way. And but there's a lot of truth to that though, actually. There is. Yeah. I'm down with the cynics, man, uh, a bit. If it brings us power. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I don't want to be a nihilist. I mean, I don't want to just <laughs> say it's all for naught and pointless and just might as well go shoot up heroin and play video games. And Dude, I've been in that whole that last year, some friends of mine in that hole, um, pondering it because it's like, which is true. Nothing we do matters or everything we do matters. Yeah. That's a very tough one. That's a very polarizing one. The conclusion I've come to is they're both true. Mm. The conclusion I've come to is I die three generations from now, nobody's going to give a fuck about what I've done. No, let's be honest. The books I've written documentaries I create, nobody's going to give a fuck about in three generations. Mm -mm. So I could be like, well, let me just go shoot up heroin. (laughs) Right. I can only shoot up so much heroin before I'm like, well, this is boring. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm hooked. I can't quit it. it. (laughs) Right. And then on the other side of that, it's like, well, of course, everything I do matters because of the rippling impact and who knows how, like, so just understanding, I think, the paradox in all of this is mm-hmm. really, really important. And I think for so many humans, even looking the political scheme of things, we're like, well, which is true? Is it A? Is it B? Is it? And, and where I think we find power as a human being is sitting in the tension <clears throat> of all of it. Mm-hmm. And then really coming back home to what are our values as a human being and how can we walk with an integrity with those values to go create as we choose to create and what will be, will be. Yeah. And I, I think, so I've done work with a guy named Justin Fairman, who's been a huge benefit for my mindset. And, and he has a framework he calls BETDAR. It's an acronym for beliefs and emotions, create our thoughts, produce our decisions, drive our actions, and eventually produce our reality. And so if you want to change your reality, go work on your beliefs and thoughts or beliefs and emotions. Um, and so for me, I, th- I think that in 2020 really was a choose your own adventure reality series. Still is too, man. And it, it or magnified it. I should say that, that that's all life is totally. um, because every client I've got was up year over year in 2020. And we chose, we all chose that they're essential and come shut us down and none so of them good. had any problem. And, I love it. and so it's almost kind of like that story of Hacksaw Ridge 
of that guy in the military that joined, I think it was world war II, and he was a conscientious objector, nonviolent um, observer. And he ended up being a medic and ended up saving so many guys and never had a bullet shot at him, never had any wounds himself. And it really feels like this big experiment of, can we create our own reality? despite all of the chaos around us and all the programming and all the hypnotic messaging that tries to get us to live in fear. And so when you look at the last hundred years, like the the large narrative has just been one of fear, one string after another of fear, like from world war one to the great depression to world war two to the cold war to Vietnam. I mean, it's just, everything is fear. Everything is fear driven. And um, yet there's lots of people that lived just fine and were completely unaffected by that stuff. I mean, yeah. obviously I've got relatives that were in those wars and sure. had, had people lost and whatever, but, um, it's an interesting thing to, to question, can we navigate and avoid all these landmines and live a life of purpose and fulfillment and enjoyment and without all the fear. Do you think that comes back to us taking responsibility for our <clears throat> day-to-day energy level? And and energy level, I don't mean like vitality. I mean, kind of like our our level of consciousness. Yeah, I think the psychic energy, let's call it. Like, I think Michael Singer, his book, The Untethered Soul is a great one. And he talks Mm -hmm. about just that concept of psychic energy, not that you're reading somebody else's minds, but the energy you get from your mind. And and so he gives a great example of, I'm sure you and I have both experienced this. Um, So you get girlfriend breaks up with you and you're despondent and you're just lethargic and you're sitting on the sofa eating pizza and barely cognizant every day. And you got a scruff like I do because I haven't shaved in four or five days and week, a couple weeks go by and you just are moping around and she calls you and she says, I made the biggest mistake. Can I come see you? And I mean, what's going to happen, right? Boom. You're alive. You go clean the whole house, you shave, clean everything up and energy's there, but you haven't changed your nutritional output or input. You haven't changed your physical output, like nothing changed. It was all mental. And so I think that's a really interesting one, a little example to pay attention to. Why do we give our soul, let's say to, to things every day that just suck the life out of us. So good. I was reading a book called levels of energy by a guy named Dr. Frederick Dobson. I don't know if you've ever read that Mm -mm. book or not. Super fast title. Yeah. Read. And he was talking about how essentially in the book, we can't really make these sustainable quantum leaps in, of consciousness. He calls it energy, levels of energy. Uh, Dr. David Hawkins calls it the, the scale of consciousness and, mm-hmm. and all of that. So all in that vein of thought. And so he was talking about how if somebody's like super high vibration, like love, somebody in apathy, uh, about a 40 frequency, they like just, they can't touch, they can't fuck with somebody who's in like no. high vibration. And in that, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, so when Jesus was speaking to all these people and the crowds of people were trying to grab him and scripture says they couldn't grab him. And he just magically vanished from all these people who were trying to kill him. Was it because his energy was so right. high that they legitimately right. couldn't grab him? That's an and interesting if so, one. And if so, that is the same thing applicable to us as business owners. Hmm where it's like we have all these mandates and all the stuff when it's like if we come home and really tap into that soul that thing that's Mm -hmm. beyond us and let that guide our decisions like i'm a big proponent of this of like well who's the market you're called to who's Mm -hmm. of course there's some psychology and there's 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 a whole science to it 
Of course. But it's also an art form where it's like, who are you called to? Who are you called to serve? And really, well, I think that's when the resonance, right? The resonant right. frequency, let's call it. I mean, I've got a friend, she, a uh, new friend, she uh, lives here in Central California near me, and she's just felt called to speak out against all the political shenanigans. And she started up YouTube. She's a stay at home mom, teenage kids, literally soccer mom, like the epitome of soccer mom. And she just started talking about it on YouTube and she's up to 30,000 followers since Amazing. September. Amazing. And I mean, people are just spot sending her donations and love her stuff. And I mean, to me, that's where like the flow, the resonance, like where totally. things align. And this is where, I mean, in, in a, you're in my entrepreneurial career. I'm sure we've had plenty of failed attempts where you're just like, I know it's going to work. And you just muscle it and muscle it and muscle it. And it just flops totally. dead. Totally. And then you see somebody that's like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. They're just printing checks, right? They're just cashing, cashing money because they're like stepped in front of li in line of some demand. And I think as artists or creatives or people that are you know, empathetic or whatever, we really have to find something that aligns. We can't just go offer some tchotchke on Amazon because we know it'll sell. It's sure. Is it aligned and is it a value? And so I think that that resonance energy of like what you talk about with Jesus that what's aligned, what's in the, what, what's, what's lining up there with the market and your identity and your purpose and all that stuff. Yeah, dude. And bringing this back into like bottlenecks uh, of businesses and breaking through those bottlenecks is, is the start of that really figuring out what's out of resonance, like what's out of alignment or is it something different? No, it's the easiest place to start is where there's a lot of friction in your business. And for most business owners, they're survivors, they're adaptable, they're resilient, they're resourceful. Um, so they're used to just fixing whatever's in front of them. And, and so a lot of times they get to the end of their rope. And so they're running out of time. They're doing too many things. They don't have any space to think about, well, what's the solution to this? And so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the first place I go to in a business when I come in is figure out where's the owner's time going? Because a big secret, <laughs> just because you own the business doesn't mean you have to run the business. Um, doesn't mean you have to do everything in it. And I think that's where a lot of people never make that transition, right? Of going from being the entrepreneur to let's call it being the organizational leader, the business owner. And so that, that point of friction, where is their time being consumed? Because unless they're in a high skill business, like let's say they're a surgeon or they're a trial attorney or um, even like a client of mine, they were civil engineers and they're brilliant guys, but there's a lot of bright engineers they could hire to do a lot of that work. And so the part for me is like, what are we, what do you keep doing that's consuming all your time that doesn't allow you to proactively work on anything else? Hmm. What is, what have you found is like the reason people don't make that shift into being the, the team owner or the, the business owner? Uh, it's not intuitive to make that transition. It's they're like a frog in a pot getting boiled. I mean, as the revenue goes up, their chaos level goes up. And so a lot of times they think, oh, we're stuck at a million dollars. And we're like, you know, you could get to 2 million and it'd be more effective and run easier. And they're like, oh, I'd work twice as hard. And so it's like this disconnect that, well, are you working twice as hard now at a million than you were at a half million? And maybe they are. So they believe that's just a linear progression. So there's that. Um, I don't know that many people talk about this transition. I know there's, I'm sure there's a book out there that talks about it, but I've not found it other than mine. And 
that's why part of why I wrote it was because I just couldn't find anything else that's talking about these lessons I'd learned with my clients and then what it works. So I, I think it's a combination of they just don't know, they don't realize it. And then the other insidious part is that some of them don't want to grow. Some of them don't want to transition. And so I think that's like the most fascinating kind of psychological hack trick, I guess, is that so many business owners say, oh yeah, I'd love to grow. Yeah, I'd love to scale. Yeah, I want to grow this to as far as it'll go. And then when you sit down and talk with them, it's like, well, no, I, re I don't really want to confront. No, I don't really want to have to hire anybody else. No, I don't want to train anybody. No, I don't want to do it. And they're like, no, I just want the money. I don't want to do any of the work or the change. And so like, that's a very common. So fascinating. Why is it you think they want the money, but they don't want to do what's required to create the money? Oh, it's just hard work. I mean, I think business ownership and parenting and marriage are the best crucibles to refine us. And totally. so if we don't, if we don't want to subject ourselves to that growth, if we don't want to deal with that transformation, if we're like, I, I, I used to hear so often old guys, they'd say, well, I am who I am and I'm not changing. And if you don't like it, you can pound sand or whatever. And it's like, sounds like my dad and all the guys in my family. Yep, exactly. They're like, <laughs> well, this is who I am. I'm take it or leave it. I'm like, well, that's not, you're obviously not growing your business. So you're going to stay where you're at because the fish stinks from the head down and nothing's changing. If you're not changing. You think most people don't, like to me, this comes back down like the inner work. I call it like shifting. Uh, mm -hmm. And for me, it's a way of life <laughs> across the board in every aspect of life. And if we don't have the skill sets to like shift back into a place of cause, into a place of power, we're kind of fucked. But yeah. I don't understand why people don't, like I don't understand, and maybe you can help me understand. I don't understand why people don't want to lean into their edges. Like I, I cannot yeah. comprehend it. It's uh, so one realization I've had is some people are very black and white and with the black and white mindset comes a lot of times that if they have to admit that they have a failing to work on some edge to, to refine some frayed edge, then they're admitting that their whole life's a failure. This is all or nothing perspective. And so it's a fascinating one because to me, like, my whole life's gray and I'm evolving. I'm not the same person I was two years ago or three years ago. And I'm grateful for that, but they tend uh, that personality tends to find identity and their yeah, that they're who they are is, is everything and, sure. and that nothing can change. And they don't want to admit that they've ever made a mistake because then their, their whole life's a failure. Sure. So I think that's a hard part. I think um, some people, like when we look at the DISC profile, I, I like that one the most of personality assessments. Um, so D is dominant, I is interpersonal or social, uh, or D is decisive dominant, I is interpersonal, social, extrovert, S is stable structure, um, routine, and C is cautious or completers or finishers. And so the interesting thing is about 60% of the US population are high S's. They don't, like they don't like deadlines, they like routine, they like structure, they don't like change. And so when you see that 60% of people are hardwired out of the gate to not want to change and not want to feel out of control, yeah. then that starts giving you an insight of, oh, totally. well, if that, if they have to deal with their internals, then that's change and they feel out of control and they feel scared because they're out of control. And 
So they'd rather just stay with what they know, even though yeah. it's not producing the fruit they want. I know, no, like, as I started studying skill of consciousness and levels of energy, one of the statistics that Dr. David Hawkins threw out was, and, and don't quote me on this, it's either 72 or 78, I think it was 72%, 72% of the consciousness of humanity never rises above pride, like mm. consciously, right, right, they can't even lean into fucking courage, right, and right. life doesn't get good until you embrace a level of courage consciousness. Exactly. Well, and I think it was it was 2011. Um, Peter Thiel and Reid Hoffman were did an interview, and I was reading this transcript of it. And they were college buddies at Stanford. Went on to work at PayPal. Reid went on to start LinkedIn. Is now a venture capitalist. Peter went on to be a venture capitalist, invested in Facebook and a whole bunch of others. And and Peter was asking Reid. He said, "What percentage of small business owners do you think are sociopaths, like narcissists, people who's Make the world revolve around them. And Reed says, I don't know, 30%? Peter's like, no, it's 50%. <laughs> and, and for me at the time, I was like, oh, thank God that's not just me. Because I had a string of business owner clients that I was just having a hard time with. And, and I, had a pro I had problems with communication. I wasn't explaining all that I was doing. And I was saying yes to everything. So scope creep would happen. And so it was a double, double negative dynamic. But it helped me realize that it's the catch 22 of small business owners have to be risk tolerant. They have to be willing to take some risk. They have to be visionaries. They have to see more potential. They have to um, be brave and courageous in the face of adversity. But then it also means that sometimes they think the world revolves around them and their shit doesn't stink and stuff like that. Exactly. How did you learn to deal with that then? If that was the conclusion of like, yeah, there are some people who are going to be that way. You know, I just worked on myself and what was funny, I remember that November of 2011, I had a series of unfortunate events with clients and had a coaching call with a friend who's a life coach and she, she noodled in and she found that I had this belief that it was my job to save my clients' businesses yeah. and that I didn't deserve a fee unless I saved their business. Well, that was some distorted shit right there. I mean, that was... So getting freed of that was the beginning of the process for me and then just working internally. And you know, what's funny is the healthier I got was the healthier the clients that showed up got. Yeah. And Isn't that crazy how that always happens? Always. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't have people like that show up in my life anymore. I mean, I don't have people that are full of shit and hyping and lying and saying, oh, we'll pay you more later. or Oh, the check's in the mail or any, like none of that happens. And it's not because I've got some great filters and I weed out and all this. I just, they just don't even show up anymore. Hmm. What made you to um, choose to work with a life coach? Uh, a lot of, I think it, for a business owner working with a life coach is like the hidden key secret thing to dynamic growth. Do you believe that? And what led you down that path? Uh, yeah. So I, I kind of cheat because she was a good friend and I'd helped her get her life coaching practice going. So I was happy to pay her for help. Um, but no, I've always, I've always had coaches, always had mentors. Um, my sister and I both talk about that, how we both benefited from having people speaking into our lives from a young age. And so I've just always, always appreciated people who are ahead of the curve, see something else and go implement what they suggest. And that was kind of the secrets for my sure. success with mentors was whatever they said, I just go do and I come back and say, Hey, I did it. What's next? 
And you think uh, many business owners are looking at life. Like it seems to me uh, the vast majority are like, oh, I need revenue. Oh, I need leads. Oh, I need more sales. If I do that, then my life will be fixed rather than looking at it a bit differently where they change themselves and then the other stuff follows suit naturally. Yeah, it's very counterintuitive. So yeah, the siren song of small business owners is leads. And right. they think that leads solve all ails and profit covers all sins. Um, but it, I, I think it's just like anything else in life, like money, just more money magnifies more of what's inside of you. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got dysfunction and you make a lot more money, you just got a lot more dysfunction until that um, inflection point happens where you're just like, oh, this really isn't serving me. What else can I do? So, yeah, I think it's, it's just, again, it's a nature, it's the nature of survival in small business that we're all bootstrapping. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to keep it going. We don't know what we don't know. And so you think, well, oh, that's, that's luxury spending time thinking about this stuff, staring at your belly button and figuring out how your dad didn't love you or whatever and the right way. And I don't have time for that. I, I got to get sales today. I thought you froze and you didn't freeze. No. Okay. So you <laughs> just like, or, you were like zoned in. I'm like, he's frozen. He is not frozen. <laughs> it's all good. Awesome, man. Awesome. Now, dude, I, I have found a lot of benefit, man, from navel gazing, looking at the belly button. Um, and even in that, man, there's a time and place where people get in patterns where they find a business challenge and they're like, oh, it must mean something about me. It oh, must mean right. something about me. And again, they're not wrestling with the tension of sometimes it does mean something about you. And sometimes it may be a messaging issue. Mm -hmm. And how does somebody identify their bottleneck, whether it's like an internal thing or an external thing? Yeah. So I think the internal stuff, as my mom said, growing up, it's like the Israelites going around Mount Sinai again in the desert, right? Um, With what was that? Abraham and they, um, if for me, it's like, if you keep going around the same issue, like the same flaky staff keep dropping out or whatever, or the same vendors keep screwing you over, um, then it's an internal thing. If it's an acute thing, like, gosh, we can't get this offer right. Or we don't, we aren't getting people to say yes to our, our sales offer or, um, oh, we did this launch and something happened with the server or whatever. Like those are acute items that you can go fix. And if those get fixed and you move forward, then you know, it's a bottleneck thing. Um, So I, I take them both the same approach. I just say work on solving the bottleneck, solving the problem. And if it keeps repeating or recurring, then it's an internal thing. Awesome. On your website, you talked about six levers of growth. Are those like the six bottlenecks or are those different, different than bottlenecks? Uh, No, those are the six areas where bottlenecks occur. Awesome. Um, that you can categorize your, your business into. And so it, it started out that it was just marketing, um, and systems that everybody came to me thinking they had a marketing problem, but 80% of the time they had a systems problem. And so we'd go back and forth between marketing and systems and marketing and systems. And then it, the four letter word of management came out because you got to manage people, you got to lead and tell them what to do and hold them accountable. And so it was like, okay, we got marketing management and systems. Um, but then mindset to me really trumps them all. And, and then for those getting started, it's strategy, right? So that you make sure you have the right offer, the right market, the right messaging. Um, so now we've got mindset, strategy, marketing, management, and systems. And then the final really is what's the point? I mean, what's the vision, your goal? Like everybody starts a business for one perspective, but then they get in it and they realize, oh, maybe something's changed. Like 
I'd rather just have more time off and just make more money to have more time off. Um, or I really want to grow this to sell it. And really to me, there's only three points, three outcomes of a business, you grow it to sell it. You turn it into a cash cow or you hand it off to your employees or kids. Um, that's it. Then you can own a job in any one of those if as like a fourth kind of non goal. Um, but it, there's a lot of people that like owning a job. They can't be fired because they're their own boss and stuff like that. But if you don't know where you're going or why you want to get there, then it's that Alice in Wonderland quote with the Cheshire cat when she's running away from the queen of hearts and she's like, well, where do I go? And he says, well, where do you want to go? She says, I don't know. And he says, well, it doesn't matter which road you pick. Um, so those all just keep become the structure of how we organize and how we move forward. And so a lot of times it's marketing and systems and management. Um, and then for those brave souls that want to get into mindset, um, that just is the best lever of all. Mm -hmm. Why is the mindset the best lever of all of them? Okay. There's an old Chinese proverb that says the fish stinks from the head down. And so you as the owner establish all the culture, set the standard drive vision direction. And so if you've got things that are happening in the business, whether it's under marketing management systems or strategy, um, if you're not up-leveling your perspective of yourself, of your how, of how you view problems or how you view opportunities, and um, you're just going to be the cap. So the, to, my, to me, my perspective is the business grows to the lesser of either the business owner's mindset or the market potential. And most often than not, it's the mindset that prevents it from growing to the market potential. So it's almost like the glass can only spill what it can contain. And if we mm -hmm. need a bigger glass, then... Or if we want to spill more stuff, we got to become the bigger glass, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Do you find the the management piece um, for a lot of people comes back to a vision problem? Um, no, I think it's well, maybe. I mean, I guess you could say that they don't have a vision that they need to grow to a larger team, and that to have a larger team, you have to build management. And but no, more than anything, it's management is the problem that they don't want to have to tell people what to do repeatedly. And they think that they should just, this is common sense. They should just know what I need. And we've been doing this for years. Why don't they know what to do? And so, I mean, management at the end of the day is recruiting, training and retaining staff. Sure. Um, so I think that's the, the key to getting through it is like, okay, if you can shift your perspective and see that management's all about building a team and keeping them going in the right direction, and then life gets a lot easier. Yeah. The reason I asked that question is I had a couple of clients, they're kind of in that management bucket. And so they need to bring on some team members. And so I was like, well, what's the vision for the company? And they're like, oh, we want to have X amount of people into our group programs. And we want to sell X amount of, I'm like, no, 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 no. What's, what's the vision for the thing that you're building? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I just want to make money. Like yeah. <laughs> what other problem is there to solve? What other goal is there? Exactly. Right. And so it's funny to me how, how much truth there is in your six levers, the mindset, the strategy, the marketing, the management, the systems, the vision, but also like how intertwined uh, mm -hmm. these are. And it's almost like there are gears of this machine. And just because you turn this vision gear, it actually is going to impact the management gear. hundred percent. Yeah. You cannot. Yeah. I'm not without knowing where you want to go. I can't give you advice on any of the others because um, like I got a client right now, they're growing and um, have some big, big goals. And, and so 
hiring the right staff is is really key right now and and so they have to add staff to add growth and there's complexity to that and it's expensive to add top talent staff and um, that's very different than another client that I've had for a number of years that they just want a great cash cow and so we've upgraded their staff by replacing poor staff with better performers but they haven't really expanded their team and we've more than doubled their revenue uh, in the last few years to make it a great cash cow so two very different goals, two very different sets of advice and recommendations. And if like an entrepreneur is like stuck or stalled out in their revenue right now, what advice would you have for them to like find that bottleneck? Oh yeah. Page six of my book, I go over the six or five revenue plateaus. And then I, I don't know, page 243 or something like that. I go over the same revenue plateaus with the most common solutions to those revenue plateaus. So most common ones, a million bucks, most common solution is you need a COO that's going to be that little Napoleon to crack the whip and keep everything running smoothly because you're probably throttling yourself. You're probably not closing as much business as you can because you know that it's just going to create more headache for you to have to fulfill, deal with fulfillment headaches on the back end. So that I've just found these patterns over and over and over and over. And so th those are the most straightforward solutions nice. that those revenue plateaus now, did writing your book actually help improve your positioning and career and, and everything? Great question. Uh, writing my book helped me define my process. That's for sure. <laughs> I didn't have the six levers spelled out before I wrote it. And I didn't have um, an assessment process. I would just show up and ask questions. So they'd say, well, what are you doing? Well, well tell me about your business and I'll figure out something to do. And um, so that was always how I got business. But um yeah, I mean, I've made some amazing friends from having my book out there. Um, people that grabbed it on a recommendation or something and then reached out to me. And um, so it's definitely helped my network. Uh, I've actually never gotten a client from it. I've only had one cold lead reach out and it was a funny one. He's uh, in a Vistage uh, coaching program and he stuck about 5 million in an IT consulting firm and went to his Vistage rep coach and said, what do you think the problem is? The guy says, I think you're the bottleneck. He says, yeah, I think you're right. What do I do about it? He says, I don't know. And so he just went searching and found me on a podcast and grabbed my book and then reached out to me. And I read his mail. I told him everything wrong. And, and then he was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Send me a proposal. I'm like, well, let's, let's figure out the fee first. He's like, yeah, the fee works. Send me the proposal now. And then a couple of days later, he's all, uh, can you do this for half price? <laughs> like, no, go read chapter eight and get back to me. And he never did, but so it, it's not been the panacea of marketing that I thought it would be, but it was definitely useful for me to define my process. Awesome. Now, do you run book that. funnels or anything of that nature? No, never done any of that. Do you want no, to, or you just don't want to play that game? No, it's, um, it's a funny one. Maybe when I came out with the book, a book funnel would have been great, uh, but I did a hardcover and the hardcover cost of print is about 12 bucks a piece. Um, they're print on demand. And so it, doing the paperback, like free plus shipping kind of stuff that where you get the cost down into the dollar fifty or $2 range. Um, I just never, it was never the target audience that I was going after. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one. I've, and, and then since the books come out and the last couple of years, I've got great clients and great projects and don't really want to scale my consulting. Awesome. 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 I have my book, my first book launches uh, April 7th. Oh, fun. Really tossed, like sitting like, do I want to do a hardback? Because there's a big part of me that does want to do hardback 
are like, do I want to do softback? And so I've asked people, do you prefer softback or hardback? And I was amazed. I guess I'm the only weird nut job that likes hardback books. I like hardback <laughs> books too. And, but my target audience, so my typical clients, somewhere between million and a half and 10 million, the owners. And so, um, they all prefer hardback. I should say, I should reframe that. There's a new group that I found. I spoke at a conference a couple of years ago, year and a half ago, and they, it was for um, a home service software company. And so all these guys are landscape or um, pest control or housekeeper businesses. And those guys are always in the field, always driving and they listen to audiobooks. Yes. And so they gave me a lot of grief over it. So I recorded an audiobook version when I got back from that and released it just for them. Cause I just had never had clients that there's a big correlation. If they don't read, they're not a good client for me. And so, um, I just had never had the motivation to do an audiobook. and, and those guys are good clients and they listen to audiobooks. And so awesome. It was, I was happy to be, have my mind changed. What's some of the biggest breakthroughs that you experienced personally in this game of building businesses? Well, I think it just forces, the, for me, it's forced me to just look internally at all the limiting beliefs and traumas and emotional traumas and stuff that I've carried around. And I think, I think some of the big breakthroughs are that time doesn't matter. Um, I'm 41 now and had all this pressure through my twenties that I had to achieve some level of financial success by 30 and got to file bankruptcy at 29 when my mortgage brokerage went under. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm still surviving and my marriage is getting better and we've got great kids. And so my thirties, I really feel like was the decade of healing and business gave me all those pressure points to extract that stuff out. And like, if I, if I was just at a job and punching a clock or whatever, I probably wouldn't have grown as much personally. Um, it's given me a lot more patience, uh, less, um, ideology, like I'm less idealistic, uh, around how a business should run or what staff should be doing or how money should be made and all those bizarre beliefs we, we get growing up of ideology and stuff like that. So, um, I think it's forced me into the position of like stepping into my brilliance. I was always so insecure and knew I was smart, but had no idea where I stood up in the world, stacked up in the world. And so I, I threw myself into high pressure situations and you know what, never been caught with my pants down and never been exposed for being a fraud and all those imposter syndrome concerns. And, and then obviously working on internal mindset stuff helps heal those when they come up. Sure. So for me, that's, that's what it's allowed is it's just allowed me to keep having crap pop up to work on. <laughs> and what did you land on as far as on how you stack up against the world? Oh, well, I've just, this is going to sound so arrogant, but I'm, yeah, I, I'm one of the smartest guys you'll ever meet. And one of the most brilliant minds when it comes to solving businesses. And I've never, never been told anything otherwise. So, so I know that's my unique ability and um, I'm grateful for it and grateful for my genetic heritage. Cause I won the genetic lottery <laughs> having the parents and grandparents I did that were brilliant people and gave me liberty to, despite challenges growing up, gave me liberty to explore lots of things. And 
So yeah, it, it, um, it was surprisingly reassuring. What's been the biggest mistake you've made up to this point? You know, I, I, I think this was a great example of, um, when my book came out in November of 2017, I had a handful of friends, mentors that were super encouraging and trying to help me promote it and get it out there. And I, one of them, she said recently, about a year ago, she said, it was like, you were a turtle going back into your shell, right. When you're supposed to come out and like reveal your brilliance. And, and it wasn't until, uh, December of 19, I had a coaching kind of session. Um, it was called a, it was called biofield tuning. It was really unique. And out of it came like this generational pattern that I, I had could beat around the bush, but I couldn't pinpoint it. And like that got cleared and I've been able to step into kind of the light and, and be okay with the light and be okay with the attention or pressure or whatever. And so it's one of those hard ones, right? It's like, was it really a mistake or was I just following my programming? Right. Like that I, I knew that I was holding back when my book came out and when people were wanting to promote me and I didn't take the advantage of it, but it was all kind of perfect and how it's worked out. And so that's, it's those kinds of things that I, I think one other thing is a real like tactical mistake is just being too trusting and not just getting stuff in writing. I mean, it's so stupid to think that to have to say that, that it obviously everything should be in writing in some form or another. Um, but I just give people the benefit of the doubt and have, I haven't been screwed royally, but it's definitely made for some messy situations. Sure. No, I, I even in this podcast, I had to go back and redo a hundred and something episodes because apparently the intro, I said, peace, power, and profits. And that is trademarked, my friend. That is trademarked, <sighs> that phrase. I didn't know that. So crazy. You know, redo it all. Redo it right. all in the yeah. process of redoing that actually as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bummer. Yeah. So you just roll no. with the punches and take it. Exactly. And learn. Exactly. Awesome, man. If you could go back in time and give your younger self some wisdom to collapse time, what would you tell them? Yeah. I mean, I just lean into internal growth better and be more active, play more sports, work out more. <laughs> I, I was a workaholic for a while. And, and then when we had little kids, I'd feel guilty leaving the house and just all that stuff that now I'm like, when we, we moved back from Hawaii last summer to California and like I was playing tennis like three days a week in Hawaii and we were going snorkeling or, or I was golfing and we'd go hiking. I mean, we just, we just had a blast. And so I realized like, it's so easy in the early thirties when families are young or whatever to just be hermits and live through groundhog day. And so that's definitely the one that I, I'm, I'm having to recover from inactivity. This being present or being Physic active. physically fit, physically active. Fit. yeah, physically gotcha. fit and active. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, dude, I had another guy uh, on the podcast, Ross Kimbarowski. I forgot what episode number. His was similar. He was like, man, I, I would I would have been fit uh, earlier on because it, mm -hmm. it really has changed business. It's changed my marriage. It's changed myself um, and just happiness and fulfillment. And his was similar, mm -hmm. similar advice. Cool, brother. Well, thank you so much for being here. If people yeah, want my pleasure. to know more about you, they want to grab your book, they want to do a consult with you to find their bottleneck, how can they connect with you? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my book's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible, 
Bottleneck Breakthrough by Joshua Long. Uh, my website, bottleneckbreakthrough.com, has contact forms and application forms. I've got a Facebook group that's nominally maintained uh, called Bottleneck Breakthrough Method. So that should do what you need. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate my pleasure. This was fun. Great questions. Awesome. Well, there you have it, my friend, Josh Long. I was a bit surprised by how much we actually spent talking about the inner game uh, on all of this, yet I found like Josh is spot on with the stuff. And oftentimes, if you find yourself experiencing the same problem over and over and over again, it's probably an internal problem to solve. One of my clients, which is Ben Slater of Systems for Business, he says that he looks for the law of three, meaning if he sees the same problem appears in his life three times, he knows it's an internal problem to solve. And then he goes to work uh, on doing both the internal work and the external work required to create that which he desires. So Hope this helps. Uh, that's all I have for this episode of the Anthony John Weeks podcast. I hope it served you and helped you see like where your bottlenecks may be inside your business, inside your life. If you know someone who needs to hear this episode, send it over to them in their DM, screenshot it, share it on social media, send them an email, text message, whatever you have to do to get this episode into their hands, into their ears so they can consume it. And also please keep the five-star reviews coming over on iTunes because that is what helps get this show found by more people. It helps us serve them in the process. It helps me. So yeah, if you do that, that'd be amazing. So thank you so much for being here. Until next time, I'm out. Peace. Well, that's all I've got for this episode of the Anthony John Amics podcast, but we have plenty more to help you become unstoppable in life and business. So head on over to ajamix.com for exclusive resources, information, and tools to help you break through to a new level of freedom, purpose, and success. I look forward to having you back for the next episode. Bye for now.